How many of you are ready for the Word of the Lord? Without a doubt, Luke's narrative of, uh, regarding the birth of Christ is the most well-known and it's the most informative. Um, just about every time you hear Scripture quoted on the birth of Christ or you see it on uh, Christmas cards or coffee mugs, m- most of the time it's from the book of Luke. Mark's gospel really gives us nothing regarding Christ's birth. He starts right in with John the Baptist. John's gospel um, simply gives us the understanding that in the beginning was the Word, that Christ is the Word, and He has been since the beginning and eternity past, and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten of the Father, full of hesed and emet. Those of you who remember Des's teaching on that, full of grace and truth. The only other gospel would be Matthew's gospel, where yes, he does provide the birth of, Christ, uh, birth of Christ narrative, albeit he does it from a bit of a different perspective than that of Luke. But one of the distinctives to Matthew's account of the birth of Christ is that he draws attention to a prophecy that was given some 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. It's a prophecy given to us by Isaiah. It is from this prophecy given by Isaiah, if you want to get your Bibles and begin to go there, go there, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 is where I'll begin. It is from this prophecy given by Isaiah that I would like to draw from today to bring this incredibly, incredibly simple message. Some of you might even just simply call it a reminder message. That will be, that's what it will be for for many. Our Christmas season for this year is coming to a close which means a new year will be dawning upon us uh, starting Saturday, I believe this Saturday, if if I've looked at the calendar correctly. And it always seems to me that we need to take a word with us into the new year. Many of you have known what that has been in the past. Uh, Why, Pastor Dan, do we need to do that? Something to give us what I would call sure footing something to bolster our confidence and strengthen our faith in God. Uh, I feel like when we approach a new year that we need a word to steady our steps as we face the new year and all that it will bring with it. And we don't know what this year will bring. Two years ago at this time, as we came to the end of 2019, who would have thought that in just ten and a half weeks from a Sunday just like this one, our entire planet would be turned upside down with something called a pandemic. We had no idea. So many people affected, so many who lost loved ones and or have been so sick themselves with this virus. All that to say, who knows what 2022 is going to bring us? Only the Lord knows, which is why, Bethesda, we need a word to strengthen our faith. We need a word to stand upon. So let's look at this prophecy this morning from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 is where I'm starting. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign, colon, 
Now, what's a colon? A colon is used after an independent clause to add information that clarifies what you've just stated in that independent clause. In other words, there's, it's kind of a further explanation of what you've just said. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign, colon, and here's the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Lord, bless your word to our hearts today. Does anybody remember the days before GPS? <laughs> Who has memories like I do of traveling with your folks and they had what was all folded up, a little map about this size, but then when it got unfolded, it spread out over the whole front seat of the car? Who remembers those days? Okay. And if dad was driving, mom was navigating and telling him how to go and when to turn and where to turn and trying to navigate that every once in a while, there'd be a few little uncomfortable words because dad was sure he knew where to go and mom was reading the map and dad thought mom was reading it wrong and, and so we'd have a little issue every once in a while. But thank God for those maps. But with the advancement and sophistication of GPS systems today, uh, where you just follow the little blue line... It says in 500 feet you're going to turn right, and then in 250 feet you're going to turn right. tells you everything. With the advancement of these GPS systems, street signs and even highway signs are not quite as vital or quite as necessary as they used to be. Now, granted, I'm still glad those signs are there. Signage is certainly a help, but rather than being quite so vital, today the sign is mere confirmation. That's what it is. Signage simply confirms that what your GPS told you and where to go and to turn here and, and to go left there is actually correct. And don't we love to get confirmation that we're going the right direction? I do. Or that we're doing the right thing. And I'm, I'm applying that not only to driving, but in life general. Uh, how often have I said, God, just give me a sign. Have you, like me, ever just wished a little plane would fly over with a banner floating behind it saying, this is what you're supposed to do next? Wouldn't that be great? Well, Isaiah says, you're going to get a sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign colon, a confirmation, a comfort. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. Okay. Sign. So what is a sign? Well, a sign is defined as a distinguishing mark, a banner, uh, an aid to remembrance. But I want you, if you'll just Bear, in the, bear with me in this. I, I want to give you the context. I want to go just dig a little bit into, into this passage. And I need to give you the context of this very well-known passage that we've just read, which we often see on Christmas cards and coffee mugs, and because there's actually a story that probably most of us don't know, a story behind this well-known passage, and we see it in the earlier part of chapter 7. We started in verse 14, but in the earlier part of, of chapter 7, and here's the way it goes. There's a king by the name of Ahaz, but this king is being attacked by not just one army, but two armies are coming against him. His name is Ahaz. And in verse 2 of chapter 7, 
we read this. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. Those are the two armies coming against him, Aram and, and, and Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So what's happening here is God speaks to Isaiah the prophet and instructs him to go to Ahaz, and here is what God tells Isaiah to say to Ahaz. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of those two jokers. I think it's worded a little different than King James. Do not lose heart because these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Isn't that an interesting thing that an almighty God had a little phrase to use for those two guys, that were those two armies that were attacking Ahaz? Don't lose heart because of these two guys. Don't worry about them. Some of your versions read, they're just burned out embers. Don't, don't give any thought to them. But frankly, church... This word that is given to Ahaz, that, that God gives Isaiah to give to Ahaz, can be a great word of comfort for us and encouragement for us as we go into to 2022. Be careful, be calm, and don't be afraid. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Come on, say it with me. Be careful, be calm, don't be afraid. One more time, you're going to need it. Say it again. Be careful. Okay, this is, I'm going to cash in my one rabbit trail card here. <clears throat> if I need another one later, I'll have to borrow one from somebody. Marty's got a bunch of them. I think I can get some from her. You know, I was thinking about this, how important this word was given to him. Be careful, be calm, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, fear is something many, many people deal with. Um, some can literally be paralyzed, if not strangled, by fear. Fear is something that we absolutely must, in life, learn how to manage, because we all have it in various degrees. I'm, I don't consider myself a fearful person, really, at all. I've always assumed I didn't have sense enough to be afraid of things I should be afraid of. Fear can be a good thing if it prevents uh, catastrophe or calamity in your life keeps you from touching a hot stove or from driving off a cliff. There's, there's healthy fear that we all need. But we also know on the other end of that spectrum, fear can literally uh, paralyze you, as, as I just said. For some people, they get bound up by fear. It's, uh, something happened just yesterday. Our little uh, two-year-old granddaughter, Soren, she's the, uh, she's the daughter of uh, Shader and Natalie, a precious child, as are all three of our grandchildren. By the way, the other two, I think, will be here next Sunday, we hope. But um, uh, Soren was in our house yesterday morning, and she was running around the, uh, uh, the, 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 the kitchen island, which in our house becomes a racetrack for our grandkids. I don't know about your house, but that's the way it is, is at our house. I have noticed in the last week, maybe 10 days, that she's started saying a new phrase. I've heard it four or five times from her. I don't know where she learned it. I have no idea how she picked it up, but I found it very interesting. She started saying, I scared, I scared. She's saying, I'm scared. So she, quite often in our house, you know, there's some hide and seek that we play, and, and she'll hide basically by just 
putting her, hiding her face under a blanket or a, an afghan or something, and I say, where is Soren? We can't see Soren. Where is she? And then, and then she reveals herself. There she is, and she, she laughs. So she's running around the, the uh, kitchen uh, island yesterday, and she came to the, she stopped by the pantry door, which was open a little bit, and she just decided she would wander in there. I thought, oh, she's going to play hide-and-seek. That's what she wants to do. So she kind of moves her way in and then starts to pull the door. Uh, I should have turned the light on. I didn't. Starts to pull the door kind of closed, and I went, help, went ahead and helped and sort of gently closed it to where it, you know, it latched. She wasn't in there more than 15 seconds. But all of a sudden, I began looking, and I could see on the, on the doorknob on the outside, she's trying to unlatch it, or unlatch it from the inside. So once I saw she was trying to do that, I said, where's Soren? Where's Soren? And I went ahead and pulled it open, and I said, there she is. And I thought I would hear this glorious laughter. And she looked up at me with those big, beautiful eyes. She said, Papa, I scared. Papa, I scared. Well, two Two things overwhelmed me in that moment. First of all, every urge and instinct within me wants to say, I want to protect this child from being scared the rest of her life. I want to be sure nothing ever causes her to be afraid or to be, to be scared. But obviously, I can't do that. The other thing was that I, I just, after that thought, I thought, you know, that's just remarkable to me that a two-year-old child has identified a feeling within a feeling of fear. And then I went, my thoughts went further. How it's so much a part of the human experience that we all experience fear, and how important it is that we learn to manage that fear. Well, she'd already put a name to it scared. I, Papa, I, I scared. But it's so critical to us, especially as believers, that when fear does come upon us, and it will, and it does, that we have learned to, to manage it. You know, that's why Scripture says, I, I think I've been told like 365 times the, the phrase fear not appears in the Bible. I've heard that, cha- that number challenge. You know, I've never personally counted. I could, you know, I could look it up. But the, 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 the idea that's presented is always there's a fear not for every day of the year. That's a lovely thought. I do know this, that the Scripture has told us over and over and over, we are not to be people of fear. We are not to be afraid. There is a natural fear that we have, but do not be afraid. Why do you think there's always a presence of that phrase, don't be afraid or fear not? And that's exactly what God, through the prophet Isaiah, is saying to Ahaz here. Be careful, be calm, and... Isaiah 7, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So Isaiah, the prophet speaking for the Lord, says to Ahaz, ask God for a sign. Just ask Him. You almost get the sense, in fact, I think you can easily draw this conclusion from reading the Scripture here, that Ahaz hears that, uh, uh, be careful, be calm, don't be afraid. It's almost like he doesn't receive that message at all. And so Isaiah says, ask God for a sign. Just ask him. See if he doesn't confirm the word that you are to be careful, be calm, and not to be afraid. In other words, Ahaz, if you don't believe me, the prophet, then ask God for a sign. Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, 
you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? And then we come full circle back to verse 14 where we started a while ago. But listen to me. I want you to keep in mind that the issue for Ahaz is that not one but two armies are coming against him. Very, very threatening, life-threatening. That's the gravity and the weight of what he's feeling, what his pressure is. And so here's what he's told. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, colon, which means, and here it is, the virgin, 700 years before it's going to happen, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Really? Put yourself in Ahaz's shoes for just a minute. First of all, how does that even happen that a virgin's going to conceive? How's that going to happen? And it's going to happen, he doesn't even know it's 700 years off. Two armies are coming at you to defeat you and take you out. And what's supposed to comfort you today is that and the words you're receiving today is that a virgin will give birth to a son. That's supposed to do it for you? That's supposed to comfort me today? What does a virgin having a baby have to do with these two armies that are trying to destroy me? But the key here, and you already know this, is found in the name of this baby that's about to be born. Now, please remember that in those days, names meant a lot, meant far more than they, than they mean today. The word to Ahaz was, be careful, be calm, and don't be afraid. Here is the sign of confirmation that you can do this. You can be careful, you can be calm, and you can not be afraid. The sign is this, because his name shall be called Emmanuel. This starts to make sense when you know the meaning of the name Emmanuel, because that's the key to all this. Emmanuel means what? Oh, you read that very well. Thank you. Emmanuel means God with us. So put it together. The sign that God gave to Ahaz to let him know that he was going to be okay. You can be careful, be calm, and not be afraid. And the sign was this. God is with you. God was trying to show Ahaz, as I believe he's trying to speak to us today, that the reason you can be careful, the reason you can be calm, the reason that you need not fear at all is simply because God is with you. So simple, yet so profound. And so very, very important for us to realize and actualize in our lives. Truth be told, Bethesda, it's so simple, we pass over it. It's so simple, we take it for granted. This is particularly these passages that we read every year. We know them by rote or know them by memory. It's so simple, hear me, yet God has been trying to infuse this simple thought into the hearts and minds of his people since the beginning of time. If God's people, that's you and me, would understand this simple truth, you know what? Here's what I believe. There would be nothing that we could not do. There would be nothing that we could not overcome. There would be nothing that we could not face while on this earth if we would simply know and trust that God is with us. Somebody say amen to that today. 
When our kids were little, excuse me just a second. When our kids were little, I might ask them to do something. Take out the trash, take something to the garage, go deliver this to a neighbor. And invariably they'll say, yeah, Dad, I'll do it, but will you go with me? You know, and I typically wanted to say that kind of defeats the purpose of why I asked you to do it. It will forever be etched in my mind. The day we were on a family vacation in um, some part of Arizona, there was this rather uh, long and intimidating natural water slide forged out of some rock formation that our daughter Sheridan really wanted to go down. She, she was, uh, she's never been a fearful child at all. In fact, she came out of the womb hardwired to be a risk taker. If you've ever raised a child like that, it's terrifying, let me just tell you. I could tell that this particular situation was both uh, intriguing her of the possible thrill of the slide. She would have been excited by that, but it was pretty intimidating. It was pretty steep. Um, She was probably eight or nine. I don't remember exactly how old she was. And yet, it was both intriguing her and yet giving her pause to consider that she might, she just might be too, too young to do this. I literally watched her. I, I can see it in my mind's eye right now. Watched her as she stood and contemplated. It was as if she was measuring her fear. She was, I, I knew she was going, yeah, I'm kind of afraid of that, but how afraid am I? Am I afraid enough to not do it or will it be worth it if I go ahead and try it? So it was obviously she was pondering the possibility and then didn't take her too long to finally look at me and she said, Dad, will you go with me? Well, I certainly was not fearful of the slide. I just was not excited about the ice cold water that was in the slide. I was kind of hoping she'd talk herself out of it, but she didn't and we went. Our kids are grown now, and though it is far less often, there's still the odd occasion where the request will come, Dad, will you go with me? Dad, will you do this with me? Typically, it's going to be, Dad, would you help me write this? Dad, would you, would you go with me just, and just give me your opinion? I just want to know what you think and give me your opinion. I think it's the same in our relationship with the Lord. When you walk through this life, and experience the darkness that can come upon us as we traverse along the way. Sometimes, church, it's just enough to know God is with you. And can I be honest with you? It's all you really need to know. I know you don't like that any more than I like it. But it's really what we need to know as we go into 2022 I'm not so sure about what this may end up being our our theme. God is with you. We're pondering some things. And this season that we call Christmas should be a sign to us as if we're on an interstate highway somewhere and we've gone all the way through the calendar year of 2021 as we come to the last month of this year. We're in the Christmas season and we hear these prophecies of Isaiah and we see the interstate sign. It's a green sign with the white lettering on it and it's like this it should be assigned to us by the mere fact that he is introduced to us as Emmanuel, and we know what that means. It's the confirmation that no matter what you are walking through, no matter the pain of your life, physical, emotional, or whatever else it is, you are not 
alone. God is with you. God is with us, Bethesda. In the Old Testament, a name stood for a person's reputation or their fame or a person's glory. In the Old Testament, the word translated name literally meant a mark or a brand. A mark or a brand is what it meant. And people then either lived up to or down to their name. For example, David's name meant beloved. Abram's meant exalted father, while Abraham meant father of many nations. Jacob's name meant trickster or one who undermines. Goliath, who by historical records was nine feet, nine inches tall, 450 pounds, his coat of brass weighed 150 pounds, and to look at him in the morning sun, his name meant splendor. Each of them lived either up to or down to their name. For God to give His Son Jesus the name Emmanuel 700 years before His birth through the prophet Isaiah means this. It means it is the full intention of an almighty God that His Son Jesus is the one who will be with you, who will walk with you, and who will never leave you and never forsake you no matter how dark the night, no matter how difficult the trial. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me, I am His own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. So where is the evidence that would give you and me confidence today that the Lord truly is Emmanuel? What can we, what can we look at in Scripture? What, what would prove to us that it is God's nature and desire to assure us that He is with us? Well, let me give you just a few quickly. Let me take you all the way back to the beginning. God created Adam, put him on this earth. The Bible tells us that God breathed uh, life into Adam's nostrils, signifying that he was there with him. He was present. He was with Adam. God walked with Adam and Eve in the, in the garden in the cool of the day, signifying this pattern or, or, or routine that he would be with them. So from the very onset of time, what we have in the beginning of Genesis, it was clear that God did not just put us on this earth in some random act to look down upon us and then judge us and laugh and scorn as if there was no care or concern for us. No, it was His full intention to do life with us and to be near us. What about Moses? Moses was walking along, minding his own business, and he comes across a burning bush This was the moment that God came down, you know it, gave Moses his calling, instructing him that he would go into Egypt and deliver his people. But what God does does not do is this. He doesn't tell Moses, 
all of the details of, okay, uh, they're going to chase you and back you up into the, to the Red Sea. Don't worry about that because I'm going to part the Red Sea. It's going to be incredible. You're going to walk right through it. You get to the other side and go into the wilderness for a little while, but don't worry about that because you're going to strike a wa- rock and water's going to come out, and then I'm going to bring quail, and you're going to have Panera bagels falling from the sky. It's going to be glorious. God doesn't tell him any of that. Wouldn't you love to have that detail for your next 10 years? God simply told him, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and that he was going to lead the people out of Egypt. And when Moses questioned his own ability, doubting if he could to do that, God had one simple response, and it's found in Exodus 3, verse 12. God answered, I will be with you. You would love to have more, wouldn't you? You would love to have more information about 2022. Every one of us would. But it is enough, Bethesda. It is enough. It is enough to know the sovereign God of the universe is going to be with you. Basically, what God is saying is, this is all you need to know, Moses. I'll be with you. You don't need to know the details. You don't need to know the details of even the miracles or, or how I will deliver you. You just need to know that I will be with you. So some of you are looking for a sign this morning. Do you want a sign? Do you want God to confirm something? Well, here's your sign. God is with you. There's the answer. The sign you're looking for. God is with you. There's nothing you can't overcome. There's nothing you cannot face. There's nothing you can't achieve. There's nothing you cannot do in line with God's calling upon your life for one simple reason. God is is with you. And what an incredible gift that is to us. Blessed be the name of Jesus. So Moses dies, and Joshua is the new guy in charge. God didn't come to Joshua either with any details of what he would be facing or the battles he would be dealing with. Very first thing God ever says to Joshua as a leader is this. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, he says, no one will be able to stand against you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never or isn't that a wonderful promise of God? Say it again. I will never nor. And that was enough for Joshua. God, if you're going with me, then let's go. And then God says further, so be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to get to give them. The promise of God's presence and God's commitment to be with him was all he needed to have the courage to face whatever he was going to face. Folks, this is laced all throughout Scripture. There's example after example of God proving himself to be Emmanuel, the God who was with us. King David said in Psalm 118, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph over on my enemies. What about Gideon? He was, he was no example of strong and courageous. He was the first to declare his ineptitude. He saw himself as the lowest of the low. and I'm the least in my tribe, and my tribe is the least of all the tribes. And so to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
Obviously, we can tell from this how heaven views Gideon as a mighty warrior. The reason the Lord called Gideon a mighty warrior was not because of the strength of Gideon, not because of the composition of Gideon, not because of his emotional state, not because of anything other than the fact that he knew God was going to be with him. That's why he could call him a mighty warrior. Luke chapter 1, the the mother of Jesus, Mary, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is... Folks, it's threaded all throughout Scripture. I could give you 10 more. God comes down to his people over and over again and says one essential thing, I am with you, and yet it seems to be the one thing we doubt the most. The very last words of Jesus himself on this earth were these in Matthew 28, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Bethesda, it's all you really need to know. We'd love to have the details so that we can plan and scheme sure. But walking with Jesus means that we walk under his lordship with the full confidence that he is Emmanuel and that he's with us every step of the way and nothing else matters. And we need to step into this confidence as we walk into 2022. God is with us. Say it back to me. God is with us. We've talked at length today about his name being called Emmanuel. But Isaiah's prophecy gives us a listing of other names by which Christ is to be called. And I want to bring this 2021 Christmas season to a close by reminding us of those names in light of the understanding that God is with us. You may quickly remember many of the Hebrew names of God. We've sung them. We've learned them. There are some that are more popular, like Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. Jehovah Shalom, he is our peace. But also on that list is Jehovah Shammah, God is there. Jehovah Shammah means what? As you go into 2022, please keep in mind that the God you worship is Jehovah Shammah, the God who is with you. I close by looking one last time at Isaiah's prophecy concerning the coming of the Christ child from that very, very famous, dearly beloved passage of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, and his name shall be called, and his name shall be called. Now, you try to get ahead of me there, but we're about to read five names. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, five of them. But I just want you to, before we slide past this, I want you to notice Isaiah uses the word name in the singular tense. We just read, we're going to read five of them, and you know them. He didn't say, and his names shall be called. His name shall be called. Because what he is characteristically is embedded 
in who he is. And those five characteristics make up one name. My name is James Daniel Smith. I am not three people. I just have three names. Joshua Carlton Geary. Brent Allen Brunson. Brenda Claire Hardiman. Shayla Ryan Smith. Jason Daniel Myers. You know why I know their middle name? Brenda, do you know why I know your middle name? Because I've never used the intercom system. I don't even know how in our office. But when I need one of them to come like right now, when you say that middle name, let me just tell you, they are in that office in a flash. I can say, Brent, he'll get there. And he'll, you know, he's, he's going to be pretty prompt. He's going to finish whatever else he's doing for, you know, right there. And he'll, yes, did you need? But if I say, Brent Allen, I mean, it's two seconds or less he's in there. Same thing for Brenda Claire. Not three people, three names to make up one person. You are just one person who is encapsulated in what someone calls you. And what we call him is wrapped up in his name. His name shall be called Wonderful. Say that with me. His name. You know what that means? Let me just tell you what it means. It means miraculous, supernatural. He's wonderful means he's extraordinary. It means there's nobody like him. He's wonderful. He's unique. He's only begotten. He's the desire of all nations. He's the dayspring of Israel, the offspring of, you're not listening to me, the offspring of the virgin's womb. He's veiled in humanity. He's the Godhead in the flesh. That's wonderful, church. What I just said to you, that's wonderful. And to everyone who knows him, he's wonderful. He shows himself to be wonderful. Isn't it wonderful to know Jesus? I said, isn't it wonderful to know Jesus? Becky, I'm thinking of, isn't he wonderful? You're probably the only one in the house that remembers it. Wonderful, wonderful. Isn't it wonderful, church, to know that when the world is falling apart around you, you've got someone who can keep your head on straight? Isn't it wonderful that when the enemy thinks they have the upper hand on you, he provides a table before you? Isn't that wonderful to you today? Isn't it wonderful that when sickness attacks your body, he has a way of coming in the midst of your storm to let you know that he's your healer? I think that's wonderful. I don't know about you. Isn't it wonderful that he's a doctor in the sick room? He's a lawyer in the courtroom. He's a friend when you're friendless. He's bread when you're hungry. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that you can wake up in the middle of the night and say, I am his and he is mine. That's wonderful. He's not only wonderful. He's counselor. He advises me. He counsels me. He has a divine plan for my life. He whispers in my ear, Dan, don't do that. Don't, uh-uh, don't do that. Sometimes I listen. All too often I don't. I don't do wrong because I don't know any better. I do wrong because I didn't listen to my counselor. 
He comes alongside you to counsel you, to advise you, to show you where the pitfalls are in the middle of the road, to keep you from making the same mistake over and over and over and over again. He comes to counsel you in your night season. Somebody say amen to that, please. Not only is he wonderful, not only is he counselor, but he's the mighty God. I said he's the mighty God. That phrase, the mighty God, means hero, one who is strong and mighty and invincible. Um, when I was a kid, little boys liked to run around, wrap a towel around their neck, and run around the house or in the yard like Superman, because Superman is strong, and he's mighty, and he's invincible. But Superman did have something that could bring him down to earth. It was something called kryptonite. But my hero has no kryptonite. My Superman cannot be brought down. No power on earth, no power under the earth, no power in heaven, no power in hell can bring him down because he's the mighty God. Somebody say, bless the Lord. Not only is he wonderful, not only is he counselor, not only is he the mighty God, but he's the everlasting Father. There never was a time when he was not. He has always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A few verses down, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There never was a time when Jesus was not. Jesus is not God Jr. No, no, no. Because if he was God Jr. or a demigod, he would be less than God. But he cannot be less than God because he's, because he's the second person in the Trinity. Is there an amen to that? God in the flesh is Jesus Christ. And now that he has returned to the Father, he's God in the Spirit, which is no less God than the Father. I admit to you, it is a divine mystery but I'm not here to unpack a mystery. I'm here to shout about that mystery and to declare the mysteries of our God. I don't necessarily pretend to understand it all. I just believe it. That our God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't necessarily understand how God could be Father and Son and Spirit. I just rejoice in the goodness of my God. I don't necessarily understand how a black and white cow can give white milk. And then somebody turns it into chocolate milk at the pasteurizing place. We just go to the store and buy it and drink it. I don't understand all the ways of God. I'm just thankful that his plan includes me. Is anybody with me today? Not only is he wonderful and counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting Father, but here it comes, the one you've been waiting on, because he is the Prince of Peace. When my heart is troubled, when my heart is overwhelmed, I can go to the Prince of Peace. When my spirit is wretched, I've got a Prince of Peace. Hallelujah to the Lamb. When nobody understands my situation, I can go to the Prince of Peace. When I have trouble all around me, I can find peace in this man called Jesus. When my money is funny, when my friends are few, I know the Prince of Peace. 
Thank God he's wonderful. Thank God he is counselor. Thank God he's the mighty God. Thank God he's the everlasting father. But it thrills my soul this morning to know that he is the prince of peace. Hallelujah. His name is not like any other name. His name is an extraordinary name. When you call the name Dan Smith, nothing important is going to happen. When you call the name of any political leader, you can be assured nothing important is going to happen. When you call the name Brent Brunson, he'll sing the house down. But nothing salvific is going to happen. When you call Adam's name, Abraham's name, Moses' name, Joshua's name, David's name, nothing about salvation is going to happen. But there is a name. I said there is a name. It's above every other name. And it's at that name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We ought to stand this morning in this house and shout and give praise to the one whose name is wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And He is the God who is with you. He's with you. And if God be for you, I said if God be for you, come on, put your hands together and bless the name of Jesus.